Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with Anthony Norfolk, board president of the Rody House Museum in Vancouver, Canada. During our conversation, Anthony talks about the history of Vancouver, the lives of early pioneers as seen through the home of the city's first bookbinder, Gustav Rody, and the day-to-day life of individuals at the end of the 1800s. First of all, uh, thank you for, for taking the, uh, the time to come on the show, and, uh, and welcome to The Exchange. Well, it's always fun doing yeah. these. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. I uh, would love to, to maybe start the conversation by learning a little bit about your, your interest in history and, and specifically the history of, of Vancouver. Uh, we're, we're sitting in Vancouver in, in, in this uh, old Victorian home. Uh, how did you get involved in, um, in the museum and, and into uh, the history of Vancouver? Is that something you've been involved with for quite some time or, or sometime rather recently? Well, I rolled up in Vancouver in 1986. One of the first people I met was the uh, woman who was really the driving force behind the establishment of mm. this um, museum. Uh, her name was Janet Bingham. Um, and um, so she drew me in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's how, it, that's how it started. So I've been involved sort of perif- peripherally um, since ni- 19, about 1986. Uh, but um, more and more she drew me in, and um, so I ended up as the board chair. Oh. And it, was it uh, the period of time specifically of the late 19th century that was particularly interesting to you, or just preserving general general history was more what kind of drew you into the, the museum itself? Well, I've always been into, uh, i was always been interested in, in history. Mm. Um, and the amount of the, the the amount of history in Vancouver is relatively short mm-hmm. in terms of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's only just over a hundred years since Vancouver was founded, mm-hmm. um, and this um, the, the the houses that survive in the West End of Vancouver uh, are only a little younger than the city. Mm-hmm. Um, so you work with what you have. Mm. Um, and um, it really doesn't bother me that it's a relatively short time compared mm-hmm. to some other places mm-hmm. uh, because what uh, Janet and her pioneers put together here is a really interesting place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the family, the family that lived in this particular house is the, the Rody family. I believe Gustav was the, uh, the patriarch of the family, the original inhabitant. Is that, is that, that right? That's correct, with his yeah. wife, Matilda. So the people that were drawn... To Vancouver, as you said, Vancouver is a very young town. Who were the sorts of characters that were drawn to Vancouver? Why would anyone back in the 19th century move move here? What was the appeal? Um, Vancouver had several things going for it. One was the railway that was put in coast to coast mm-hmm. uh, as part of the deal for creating Canada. Mm. Uh, and, uh, of course, the natural resource... Uh, business uh, was an underpinning for the economy mm-hmm. um, and for the railway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vancouver has always been a resource town, uh, a port town, mm-hmm. uh, and 
and is essentially the commercial centre of of the joint the two joined colonies that became British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, starting at that in the late eighteen hundreds, there was very little here except a bunch of in the case of the West End where we are now, a bunch of stumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But close to where there was economic activity, right? Uh, and uh, the West End was surveyed, and um, lots were created, mm. uh, and people bought lots and built houses. Mm. And the, the Rohde family specifically, do do we know much about what interested them specifically in Vancouver? I believe, as we were talking earlier, they were of European descent. So, what, what was yeah. the story of, of why they were specifically interested in Vancouver? Well, they, they actually started off in, in North America. They started off in Cleveland, mm. which is where they met. Mm. Um, uh, when they got married, they went to San Francisco for a short while mm. um, and then were attracted up to Victoria, mm-hmm. um, which at that time was the, the big town mm-hmm. in, in a newly created British Columbia, comparatively. Um, and um, But that was the point where... Vancouver overtook Victoria, mm-hmm. or was in the process of overtaking Victoria, and so they came here to uh, establish the kind of business that Gustav was trained in. Mm-hmm. And the people at that time that were moving into Vancouver were was was the government open to virtually any people of any ethnicity coming and immigrating at that time into British Columbia, or was it more specified? Were there quotas? Were there only certain people of certain descent that were allowed to come? Uh, well, I think it's the other way around. It's more the question of certain descent that were not allowed to mm-hmm. come, or mm-hmm. not supposed to come, mm-hmm. or, or only allowed to come if they, because they were workers on specific things, mm-hmm. like Chinese working on the railroads mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, so there was a there was a form of selectivity, mm. um, but uh, no um, no disinterest in people like Gustav and Matilda who were mm-hmm. coming here with families. They had small family already started by then, um, coming in here to establish businesses. Um, you know, he was provi- he provided a service uh, that. <laughs> While there were other printers, mm-hmm. he very quickly became the preeminent printer, bookbinder. Mm. Um, he was an expert in marbling, mm-hmm. which is the particular distinctive style of of um, decorating papers mm-hmm. for the use in books. Mm. Um, and even Mounted View Cemetery today uh, has ledgers with Rody printers mm. label on the inside of the cover. Hmm. Um, so you know, <laughs> yeah. he 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 became the preeminent uh, guy in that field. Hmm. So it sounds like people who were Western European were were generally welcome to to immigrate, but yeah. uh, like you mentioned, Chinese and potentially other other races were really only allowed to come in to work on individual specified projects. And then did they have to leave after that? Is that um, I I. I can't say that they had to leave. They were here, and their descendants still are mm-hmm. um, in, in, in among the Chinese community and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there were... Uh, some, some of the impediments were more a question of having to pay fees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a pretty fluid situation. Mm-hmm. 
we were, we were talking before the interview a little bit about how things were, how different things were then and how, how similar things are now to, to then. Um, what in your mind, you know, take us through a, a day in the life of, of Gustav Rodi and, and what was, what was an average day like that, say a weekday where, uh, he was at work. What, what, what are some of the things that we would recognize today as being very similar to the way that modern people live, but what are the other things that, that we would probably find quite, quite drastically different? Well, regular office hours, for mm. instance, um, <clears throat> like a lot of people, he was obviously something of a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, th- th- this, this is where it's different. He used to bring his staff home for lunch, mm. uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and Matilda would feed them. Mm. But um, he, then they had to get back to work, mm-hmm. you know. So that that's that that would seldom happen now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, the 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 running the house, of course, would be Matilda's business. Mm. Um, if you look at the kitchen, you won't find a lot of storage. Mm. Um, there are open shelves with pots and pans on them and that kind of stuff. But she would have done her shopping daily, mm-hmm. um, and there, and of course there would have been deliveries too, mm-hmm. <clears throat> much more than now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but she was constantly in movement, mm-hmm. um, making everything from scratch. Uh, she, we, they, they, uh, very, they did at one point have uh, someone living in, but most of the time they didn't have a living in mm-hmm. staff. They had people in from, in from the town mm-hmm. to do specific things. Um, we were talking about dishwashers. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, you'll find various um, patent labor-saving devices mm-hmm. that we have in the kitchen from mm-hmm. that period. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, they didn't have electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one surviving gaslight mm. fixture. Um, they did not initially have... Uh, running water in the house. Mm. They would have to pump out the outside. Mm. Um, the bathroom as we have it now was only installed in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same bathroom that was installed in the 1920s and we're using it still. <laughs> um, but, the, 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 you know, there was a lot of evolutionary process going on in, in the way in which houses ran. Right. Yeah, you mentioned that he was a he was a bit of a workaholic. What what what, what sort of hours would he generally work in a, in a given week to support his his career and his family? Um, I don't know what hours he worked. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a fair amount of information from his grandchildren and great grandchildren, mm-hmm. particularly a, a couple of uh, grandchildren who lived here during the First World War while their father was overseas, mm-hmm. um, and they've given us a fair amount of information about daily life and that kind of thing. Um, but um, he, he was a man in constant motion. Mm. Uh, we know that. So, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, a, in a business that's, that is dependent on work coming to you, mm. he would have, he and his employees would mm-hmm. have been, um, would have done, t- spent the hours it took to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing he was not a supporter of was trade unions. Mm. <laughs> um, 
so it was a it was very entrepreneurial. Mm. Um, uh, he used to go. He used to go to work on. on he used to go into the office on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what he was doing on Sundays, but probably administrative work or something like that. Mm. Um, and then he would roll up on a Sunday l- later on on Sunday uh, in the summer when the family wanted to go on a picnic. <laughs> Uh, and they were all sitting here packed up to go to the picnic and they had to wait for, for Gustav to turn up in his... in his. Uh, he was an early car owner. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and then they could go off to a picnic. Mm. And that sort, of, that sort of work ethic, is, is that something that uh, you think was common to that era and is not maybe altogether been lost in modern times, but it is significantly has been... Uh, reduced given the the luxuries that we currently live with? I suspect that there are probably plenty of people around with the same level of of drive and uh, involvement in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt that that's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, people seem to, in theory, to have more leisure time now. Mm-hmm. Um, they, um, you know, the five-day week is much more common, mm-hmm. um, but inevitably you'll find, particularly where entrepreneurs are concerned, mm-hmm. you know, they put in the hours that they feel are necessary, mm. and, and he was an example of that. And with with his career with you know, a relatively successful business, w- what sort of an income was he uh, generally bringing in every year? Maybe in in those times and in modern... can't answer that one. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and how the heck you compare? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, people make these calculations, mm-hmm. but they were they were um, uh, obviously in comfortable economic circumstances mm-hmm. from pretty well the moment he started the business, mm-hmm. um, because they built this place within a couple of years of their arrival, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's obviously uh, it's a it's a it's not an uh, an impressive house in terms of size and that kind of thing. I mean, the ones next door are double-fronted. This is not double-fronted. You know, they're smaller. This is smaller. But you look at the interior fittings, the woodwork, the wainscoting, all that kind of thing, which, um, you see, he had the, he had the advantage of knowing uh, an architect mm. called Rattenbury, um, who's, who went on to build magnificent, impressive buildings. Um, and uh, Rattenbury seems to have taken... a pretty basic design and uh, modified it, mm-hmm. particularly with the interior woodwork and the turret on the side that mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a hallmark of Rattenbury, um, and turned, yes, a relatively modest house into something really the little bit of a jewel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's... Um, they were, they were obviously very comfortable. Mm. Uh, ultimately, um, even though they had a lot of people, they, their family grew up in a small house. Uh, they, they did eventually sell this and move into what is these days a very grand area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> and they had also they had a they had a summer place out near. Uh, one of the ferry terminals, hmm. um, as it is now. It wasn't; didn't have a ferry terminal then. Um, but they had the summer place out there, and a, and a, and a boat, and the, the the sons were involved in the Royal Vancouver Yacht Club. Hmm. Um, 
um, in fact, we've recently had a, a display that we, um, we, we shared with the Royal Vancouver Yacht Club of um, the son Bill Rohde's involvement in design of, uh, of two classes of sailboat. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do all that kind of stuff if you're scraping mm-hmm. your money together. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and and the, the restoration and, and, and uh, upkeep of, of the museum... Uh, from the perspective of the people that that run the museum and, and keep it up to date and work here, um, what are the primary goals that you have in maintaining a relic like this for the the general public? What's what's the, what are the main drivers of uh, the the energy and the passion of the people that work here to to do that? Um, sharing the information about mm. how people lived at that period of time, mm. um, the uh, the uh, school curriculum that we have was developed by a great-granddaughter who happens to have been a professional curriculum developer. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Um, And uh, and we revise it periodically with, well, he, we, she, uh, revise it periodically. Um, uh, And we also get, we get a real charge from the visitors who come through and really are impressed with uh, that with, with the sense of how it would have been mm-hmm. um, and enjoy that and it's got nothing to do with whether or not it's you know a hundred years old or two hundred years old or three hundred years old mm-hmm. Th- that is irrelevant mm-hmm. um, we get a, we, we, we enjoy everyone's got a different angle but we enjoy the process of contributing as best we individually can. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we <clears throat> the building is owned by the city. Mm. Uh, we operate it under a contract with the city. They keep the roof on. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to raise the operating expenses and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, it's very satisfying when people from all over the place express how they enjoy the experience. Mm. And uh, we also enjoy the fact that um, quite a lot of locals are supportive of um, of acquiring artifacts that that fit, Mm -hmm. work with us on doing rotating exhibits, uh, I mean, I'm, I really enjoy those rotating exhibits, uh, which are developed in a very professional style. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's it, it is is very enjoyable to be a part of the process of presenting mm-hmm. and presenting that to the public and getting their imaginations going as to what life was like then. Paint a picture for uh, people generally in terms of what what that would look like. We, we were talking a bit earlier about a day in the life. It, would people, people be struck by the, the clothing that was worn then the pace of the life at that time, the food that was eaten? What would, what would, uh, what, what fascinates you about information you've learned in terms of what, what Gustav's life would have been like on a day to day basis or his family would have been like back then? Oh, where to start? <laughs> um, you know, I'm looking at a display ca- cabinet full of, Rody-related um, 
artefacts and photographs and things like that. Uh, and it's very difficult to pick one out. Um, we've got photographs of, of Gustav uh, in his plant, mm-hmm. in his work, his workplace, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing what a printing shop looked like compared to a printing shop now. Mm-hmm. Very different. Um, <clears throat> we've got examples of, uh, of his marbling. Mm-hmm. We even, we've even had marbling sessions here. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's absorbing to watch mm. the process. Uh, and we've got so many examples of beautiful stuff he's done. His, he would assemble um, sheet music and bind it in leather with gold lettering and all that kind of stuff. And we've got examples here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, 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 that leads to the presentation of the two concert series that we have. Mm-hmm. Because he was, he, was, he, he was obsessed with opera himself. Uh, we have we have both uh, wax. Well, they're not wax actually. It's a it's a, a different material, but they're called wax cylinders uh, and record players hmm. here. Um, just reflecting the fact that the family was extremely musical. They used to have parlor concerts. They didn't have television. They entertained themselves. Um, we pr- we have a classical series and a jazz series. It was the jazz age. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a limited number of people. It's just people sitting around in the parlour. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can go on like that. I mean, there are so many of the things that we can do here that that mm-hmm. are, are fun, informative, uh, and as valid now as they were then. Mm. It w- was the culture then, it, let, let's say in 1893 or, or maybe a few years later, that before the turn of the century, was the culture that was being... Uh, created here in in Vancouver, was it uh, similar to the Victorian era in, in England in terms of its general cultural values, or was there something new going on? Was there a new sort of spirit or, or culture that was being found in this new city? Um, I, I think what was being found here, you would probably find in a lot of American cities at mm. the same time. Mm. Uh, yeah, we had an opera house. Mm. Uh, vaudeville was big stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a number of surviving um, theatres that were built as vaudeville theatres. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Vancouver was was on the North American circuit mm. for uh, cultural, if I can put it that way, touring groups and mm-hmm. individuals. Mm. Um, it, we were we were part of the part of the circuit, you know. Mm. I mean, people were come to North America, but they'd include Canadian cities. Hmm. So in that respect, we were pretty close. Hmm. Hmm. And what would, in terms of just the, um, maybe the more shocking features of the differences of what uh, a day in the life was like then, right? People were socializing, coming over for music. People were reading books. Like you said, there was no television. Are there are there elements to uh, to that culture that would you think be particularly shocking to people today? Is it the lack of just modern medical care? If you got sick, the odds of you getting an infection and dying, the lack of anesthesia. Um, uh, what what do you think this this family particularly may have experienced that it would be difficult for modern uh, Americans or Canadians to really 
understand or relate to because we never have had to to do so. Well, you've you mentioned the medical side of things. Mm. Um, there, there was no Medicare or anything of that nature. That big house that is next next door to us uh, was um, the, the, the proprietor's second uh, private hospital. Mm. Um, he had one up the street. Then he bought that, turned it into the into a, a bigger private hospital, mm. and the previous building he had became the nurses' quarters. Mm. Um, so, if you didn't have money, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other thing that probably would have distinguished Vancouver from some places is that it probably was a pretty wild place. Um, when the when the loggers came into town, mm-hmm. you know, we have a street, Granville Street, which has thirty. It still has thirteen of the old, uh, uh, special, somewhat specialized hotels mm. that were built by one particular firm of architects uh, to uh, look after the 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 loggers and miners who came into town in the hope of, hopes of separating them from their money, of which they had a lot mm-hmm. when they came to town, mm-hmm. quite quickly in the, in the pub downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so there were... Uh, sometimes weekend evenings uh, on Granville Street can be a little noisy these days, but... Um, I think it's a little tame compared to the way it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Were primarily the, those people, the loggers and the miners, were they, was it mostly single young men who would come into town, like you said, with some money ready to basically party? Yeah. 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 That's it. <laughs> um, how, how young was young in those days? They were probably, yes, we would call them young mm. um, because they probably didn't last mm. as long as they would now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with life expectancy, of course, significantly longer. Mm. What was what was the religion of the time in uh, in this in the city? Was it was it Anglican? Was it um, just a, a hodgepodge of combinations of, of various uh, Protestant uh, faiths and, and Catholicism? What was at that time in the turn of the the century back in the late eighteen hundreds? What, what, what sort of religion was being practiced? Yeah, you know, I think you put it correctly. Um, it was it was everything. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it was somewhat compartmentalized in in terms of people associating with people of their own religion, right. um, and people from you know one one religion perhaps being more associated with particular ethnic groups and things mm-hmm. like this. Um, the, you know, the, the big hospital, um, uh, uh, well, two two big hospitals, um, uh, but the the one closest to here was. Uh, the sisters, uh, uh, St. Paul's Hospital mm-hmm. was, was a Catholic hospital, mm-hmm. still is technically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, um, you know, two major hospitals like that, one of which was run by the nuns. Um, pretty well, every, it, it, at one point, not that far again, well, yet, almost next to St. Paul's, you have, the, uh, you have a, a really impressive. Um, what is now called the United Church mm-hmm. uh, that is that is on one corner and then directly across the street is a Baptist church mm. 
of the same level of solidity and stone and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're across the street from each other. Right. Um, so you've got everything. But we even have, even from that period, uh, not so much in Vancouver, but in, in the Lower Mainland, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, they've had Sikh temples. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, the Sikhs have been involved in the logging industry since the early days. Mm. Um, so um, all those mm-hmm. relatively smaller mm-hmm. groups had their religious... It was very tolerant. Mm-hmm. Last question I want to ask you is about the difference between Vancouver then versus Vancouver today. As you were just mentioning that with all the different religions, um, you know, Vancouver still has that reputation of being a multicultural, tolerant city. Um, what What are the similarities that were have have held true? from the late 1800s to now that, that are similar in, in character uh, regarding Vancouver now versus roughly 100 years ago? And, and how has it changed significantly in your, in your view? <laughs> Vancouver, even, Vancouver has changed even since I've lived here. When I arrived in 1986, um, uh, it, it's, it's larger, it's more cosmopolitan. It is more tolerant than it was. I mean, there were nasty incidents in the past of uh, ships being turned away um, with horrendous consequences. Um, Commercial ships or? No, I mean, ships bringing, well, refugees. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, That um, there are a lot of people... um, who would rather not talk about some of those things. There's, you know, during the Second World War, there was the internment of the Japanese, Mm -hmm. um, which, um, you know, a lot of people are now ashamed about. But um, uh, I remember talking to uh, a former member of parliament who who himself recalls uh, the fears of the general population uh, during the Second World War, that the Japanese would invade and they would have submarines off the off the harbor and this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, he didn't agree with that kind of paranoia, but he said it was very real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that that was from someone who was here at the time and remembers it. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes these things can swing wildly. Um, but in general terms, uh, I would say that it is extremely tolerant, um, multicultural, slightly out-of-date term these days, um, but um, accepting, um, I mean, enjoying differences. Mm-hmm. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Very welcome. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com. 